Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Yes, thank you. Morning. Hope your Hanukkah is going well. It's going. Just a few hours. <laughs> just a few hours left. Let's start with the good news. Hanukkah, especially, we love highlighting good news out there. For instance, an oil lamp workshop was found in Israel. That's approximately. 1,600 years old. What do you think of that development this week? Well, it's one of a number of discoveries that were revealed. This one obviously has a special meeting during this week, but it was um, originally a cistern that, um, you know, where they collected water, and ultimately they developed a factory there for making uh, what they used to call getchka, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of human forms for uh, idol worship, because this was an area that when the Maccabees, um, during the revolt, the Romans took the Jews out of Beichan, what we know today as Beichan, and replaced them with people from Syria, who were obviously idol worshippers. The Jews already had no longer any graven images after the time of the first base of Mictish, they say they did, the second time, the second they didn't. Um, and this was a factory where they would manufacture them, and you saw, you could see the molds, how they made many of the things. Some of them had Jewish motifs, which means that it was in different periods, and they um, they would use this big cistern as a waste dump. So they kept putting all of the broken molds or things that had been discarded or stored in this uh, cistern, which was discovered, if I remember correctly, in 1934 by a British uh, archaeologist. And then because of the war, it was all sealed up and ignored for 80-some years uh, until now it was reopened and rediscovered all of these things. Unbelievable. Well, that's one piece of good news. What do you think of the good news that Israel is uh, now officially uh, a friendly country, has diplomatic relations with Bhutan, a country that I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it properly, and a country I never heard of before last week. You've never been there? <laughs> never been Bhutan. There. Bhutan is a, a mini-empire. Uh, it's about 800,000 people, which means about a, a less than 10% of the size of Israel, which already tells you how small it is. And um, they've had long relations, commercial and other relations, and they, they only have diplomatic relations with about 50 countries, and uh, not even with the United States and some of the key European countries, but they do with Israel. So it, it is not insignificant. It's a Buddhist country. And I think we should uh, welcome it, along with, of course, the much bigger announcement of of, uh, of Morocco. When were you in Bhutan? Which time? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I never miss it. <laughs> someone, someone sent me a picture of the country and said, okay, choose a place to broadcast from. I said, that one I don't know if we're going to do. I don't know if we're going to Bhutan. Uh, what do you hear about Pakistan? Because apparently there are rumors flying that Israel and Pakistan are, are on the road to normalization. Well, the Pakistanis deny it. Most officials deny it, although there clearly must have been some truth in the truth. What we hear is that the Saudis are, are pushing it, that they did push the Moroccans or encourage the Moroccans and have encouraged the Pakistan. Pakistan would be a huge leap. And uh, I don't know if that's immediately in the offing. First, we have to see if Saudi Arabia will be in the offing. Vice President Pence is going to the region and going to do to, to a tour, a um, much larger one, but he's going to stop in Israel. And the expectation was there would be some announcement. It could be that Israel 
will be coming under CENTCOM, which is the Central Command, from which have been barred before because the Arabs didn't want it. Uh, and now it seems they do, as they've come to realize that, that it will be a very important contributor to the regional security apparatus. And the head of CENTCOM, um, by the way, the previous head of CENTCOM is going to be the new minister, uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, Austin. Uh, and uh, he did have relations with Israel, did visit Israel. But now the uh, the current one has uh, elevated the relationship, and it seems that uh, that could be in the offing, too. Uh, you said the Pakistan would be huge. Would it be more huge than Saudi Arabia, or they're both huge in their own right? Saudi Arabia has been working um, towards this with uh, articles, newspapers, broadcasts, with, uh, by the way, changing the textbooks, uh, as did Egypt, uh, removing uh, racist and, and uh, anti-Semitic stuff. It doesn't mean it's purged completely, but it's a, uh, it's a very important move. Uh, the government of Morocco, by the way, did the same in it and introduced uh, Jewish history in the curriculum of, of uh, the, I think, sixth and eighth grades in two, two years that kids in Morocco, the Arab kids, study Jewish history, which is seen so as being integral to Moroccan history and Moroccan culture, which it was, uh, and as it is in Israel, where you have 900,000 or more people of Moroccan descent um, who have influenced the country greatly and have still maintained uh, cultural and other associations uh, with their heritage. So I think Pakistan, frankly, would be a more radical move at this point than Saudi Arabia. Uh, As you know, the king in Saudi Arabia doesn't seem to want to do it. The son does want to do it. Uh, And we'll have to see how it, it plays out. It could be like I've said for a long time, incremental steps where they you know, start doing trade, you have visits, you have other things, and then it will lead to something something more. A lot has to do with the, uh, people feel with the new administration that they want to wait and see or they want to use this. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the, the case. I would say that they seeing the aggressiveness of Iran, uh, the massive cyber attack that they did this week on Israeli, on about 80 Israeli companies, but also elsewhere. We know that they are um, engaging in more nefarious activities in the Persian Gulf. They, that they have these suicide boats, which did attack uh, a ship, an oil ship in the uh, um, in a port in port in Saudi Arabia. So they, you know, the danger remains. And uh, Khomeini made it clear that uh, U.S. hostility won't end with the change of, of elections, although they, he said, we welcome Trump's leaving. He said, but we're not welcoming Biden, essentially, that he that they don't trust him either. Uh, so we could see that this period uh, could remain very hostile. And, you know, they always take advantage of, of transitions and opportunities which they can exploit to try and position themselves. So I'm sure they will try to do it. And that causes the counter-reaction on the part of others to see that the regional stability is now more and more important. And Morocco being part of the Mediterranean Initiative now could join Greece, Cyprus, Israel, uh, many other countries. Tunisia, by the way, this week the parliament voted to criminalize normalization with Israel. But they said, the prime minister then said he respects Morocco's decision. We love Morocco. They have the right decision. But for us, if, if we if a government tries to normalize, it'll be a criminal offense. What do you think of the timing of the $1 billion U.S.-Morocco arms deal? What a coincidence. What all of a sudden happened at yep. this time. 
but Morocco, you know, does face really serious challenges from Algeria, from Iran, in the uh, active in the region, and mostly from the Polisario, supported by Algeria and others that um, in the Western Sahara. I think that that was the more important part of the deal was the recognition of the of uh, Morocco's territorial integrity and control over uh, Western Sahara. Yeah, I hear that. Um, also, there's a. I mean, I, I spoke that. Um uh, I spoke about the uh, good news that, you know, I wanted to emphasize at the beginning of this conversation. There's a report, or I, I actually think it was in your uh, newsletter, about campus attitude toward Israel changing, uh, Palestinian uh, influence uh, on campuses waning. I mean, is, is is there a way to actually measure that? And is it something that's, especially now during COVID, when campuses are, you know, in such a different type of state, uh, is it something that's really uh, obvious now at this point? Uh, look, anybody can speculate on this. The, the amount of activity that we're detecting online is not decreasing, it's increasing. And there, there's a report that came out this week about uh, more focus on the far right, the QAnon, the anti-Semitic themes that permeate their uh, tweets and their activity online. Uh, everything we see shows that the anti-Israel the hostility, whether on campus, off campus, continues. It's true, they're not on campus right now, so it's harder for them to organize, but they have stepped up the activity online and using the Internet as a vehicle to spread the messages of uh, of hate. Uh, by the way, the United States elevated the anti-Semitic envoy, the envoy on anti-Semitism, to counter it, not to support it. Um, they, <laughs> they voted to elevate it to an ambassadorial level, which recognition of the of the importance. Um, but I, I think that it's 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 speculative now. I know there are people who deny the existence even of the anti-Semitism on campus when we know and we get the reports and we have what the kids tell us, um, whether in New York or elsewhere. That um, it, it, is it reached the level of Europe? No. But is it growing? Yes. And has it permeated the political discourse this year? Has it permeated through a lot of the, these uh, online organizations and entities, which should not be dismissed? They're influencing a lot of people. And you're talking about often hundreds of thousands of posts about in, in a particular day or on uh, in a particular sites uh, that have anti-Semitic themes. And, you know, they use code words, the Rothschilds, even George Soros. If we don't like him, but the, he, he, uh, he, he, you know, if you don't like him, he, he's got um, he, he's being used as a symbol for uh, an anti-Semitic symbol, and, and you know this is not something to take lightly. You know, we saw how the uh, and these massive cyber attacks this week, not targeting Jews, obviously, but one targeting American government, probably the worst hack they say in American history, which now they believe in the latest information overnight was that that they may have hit the nuclear agencies uh, and we know that they are able to take out a lot of uh, information that were the attacks in Israel the the holding Amer- Israeli companies for ransom to pay off in bitcoins uh, so I, I don't think that this is a time we can say that there's a, a, a diminution there's certainly changes because of the covid situation by the way in in um uh, you know, we saw the report of the decision of the French court in the um, Charlie Hebdo and Kasher supermarket where they convicted 14 people. 
the three terrorists who were primarily behind it were killed in shootouts earlier, but the wife of one and, and a couple of other people were tried in absentia. So they got prison terms up to 30 years. But in the Halimi case, the court ruled that because this guy was smoking marijuana, then he, he can't be prosecuted for the most blatant, vicious, anti-Semitic attack on an 83-year-old woman, throwing her out a window, yelling, Allah Akbar, and then they are going to let him walk. Makes no sense, just, right. be, just because he was smoking marijuana. Um, Which American courts have shown is not would not would not have uh, come to that conclusion. Yeah, I mean, under the influence of anything, you're still responsible for your actions. I don't That's get right. That. If you drive while yeah. under the influence, no you sense. get prosecuted. Um, so now, on the subject of transitions, you brought this up, and you said about taking advantage of transitions. We know there's a big one about to happen in this country. Uh, I mean, two things. First of all, aside from the possible uh, prison commutations, which seems to be the biggest topic in terms of the last month of the Trump administration, the second biggest topic might end up being how many more countries can they get under this peace umbrella with Israel? I mean, to, to, it's not overstating it to say that there's an... I mean, I know that you said Vice President Pence is going to be in the region, etc. It's not overstating it to say that there's going to be an effort over the next few weeks to include as many countries as possible. I, I assume this will be an accelerated process for the next few weeks. And the fact that we keep hearing of countries, even small ones, every few days is not a coincidence that we're getting to the end of the Trump administration. Well, they certainly are. Uh, pushing it, then, as you know, there's going to be a, a flight from Mar- Israel to Morocco, the first direct flight, and I think Mr. Kushner and others will be on that flight uh, to emphasize the importance uh, of this uh, arrangement. Um, now we'll see that, the, I told you, the Israelis are going to have to decide to go east or west. Are they going to go to Dubai? Are they going to go to Morocco? As, as it is, 50,000 visit a year uh, in Morocco, uh, even though there were that's how, many vi- that's how many visited Dubai in the last two weeks. <laughs> and I was going to say this month that number will be equaled. So you can see there will be a sharp increase uh, in tourism to Morocco once COVID allows it, especially people, all this pent-up demand. That's why Dubai is, is benefiting. Uh, I hope they, they, they don't overkill. It shouldn't be too much too fast that they can absorb it. But so far, everybody who's come back seems to be very, uh, very happy with it. And... Um, uh, I think the same will be true with Morocco, but it, there's also other interests that the United States, in each case, um, sweetened the pot with uh, Sudan, right. uh, getting it off the list, as you saw with the arms sale to Morocco and the recognition in Western Sahara, or with the UAE, the F-35s. So America can play a very important role in facilitating, because there is opposition in each of these countries. Morocco, very serious opposition from the Muslim Brotherhood types and others. The king has always been courageous, uh, leading the way on Holocaust education, supporting the Aladdin Project, many, and in terms of restoring Jewish heritage, attending the rededication of the synagogue that had been the victim of a terrorist attack, paying for the restoration of, of hundreds of cemeteries, of each grave in those cemeteries, and it's an amazing thing to see um, across the country, led by uh, Serge Verdugo, the president of the community and an ambassador of the king. So, you know, there, this uh, so much, so many remarkable things were going on all along, and, uh, you know, I visited Morocco, as you know, many times, and got the highest decoration, civilian decoration that he could give, and insisted I walk with my yarmulke, did everything that was televised, and the Muslim Brotherhood, of course, went nuts over it. Uh, but, you know, the, there are histories in these places. I don't know that there are that many countries, I think there are Muslim countries in Africa, 
that are waiting to establish diplomatic relations. I think, um, you know, the, the, there isn't a long waiting list, but there are a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean, there's so many African countries that would benefit so much from Israel's technology. They do. They do already. They don't have necessary full relations. And, you know, no. it's very expensive to put an embassy everywhere, so you have to put embassies for a couple of countries. Uh, you know, Israel's a small country, and sustaining, you know, embassies in, in uh, dozens and dozens of countries is, uh, is, a, is an expense, and you have to have the people t- to take those uh, positions. But I think that if that's the worst problem, we'll overcome that. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. You know, I'm just thinking, we met a lot of people in uh, in Dubai who spent their formidable you know, campus college years on American campuses. They were pretty open about that. Um, I'm wondering if uh, maybe, maybe in that era, the 90s, early 2000s, maybe they were simply quiet about the whole topic on those campuses, but maybe now they'll be you know better ambassadors to try to quiet the anti-Israel stuff on the campus because they'll be coming from a country that now you know is is proud uh, to be friends with Israel. Maybe their whole attitude will help change things uh, on the American campuses. It's possible. It's very important point. It's not just the, the students, uh, but also. Uh, first of all, this is a direct blow to the BDS movement uh, when these all these Arab countries are buying Israeli products and, and they're dealing with it and uh, don't seem to be bothered uh, by some these um, false ca- calculations and, and assertions. Uh, but, you know, also many Arabs supported, and, and we have long traced, the amount of Arab money coming and foreign money generally coming to American campuses where they influence what is taught, how, who is teaching, etc. That could be another benefit because some of them were Saudis. It doesn't mean, by the way, that, that this will stop immediately. It won't. Many of those people right. could be radical in themselves and have radical views. But I think that the transition will seep through. And, and, and you're right. These people already going on television, talking positively about Israel. There have been visits, as you know, and you saw that the, a delegation of from the UAE and uh, Bahrain uh, lighting the, the candles on top of the what used to be police station, now the Zuckerman building opposite the Kotel. Uh, it's a remarkable thing, and that gets, permeates in the country. Yeah, and the fact that they were able to be there and I can't get to Israel was also pretty ironic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. That's, yeah, uh, that's true. Almost a year, January 4th. I know we landed here at Sarabateves, which was in early January, so almost a year since I've been in Israel, which is... Unbelievable, and I know you feel obviously the same way. Uh, on the transition issue, what about the other piece? You know, Iran is insisting that there's no new agreement that's going to be uh, arranged with the IAEA, that they're you know not ready to go back to the table. It sounds like they basically want Joe Biden to essentially say, okay, we're going back to the Obama deal, and that's the end of it. You know, everybody go back uh, go back to the future, so to speak, uh, by, by doing that. But many are speculating that Joe Biden... Uh, for a variety of reasons, is going to have to insist that this thing start from scratch. So what do you think of that whole uh, 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 whole issue when it comes to the transition to the new president? You're right in pointing out the, the uh, contradictory reports, and a lot of it is speculative. I think a lot will depend on what the Iranians say. And if you look, they've said many different things. One is that they they will not change one iota of the deal. Two, that they're not, you know, they that as I said before, Khamenei said we we they were glad to see Trump go, but they don't welcome uh, Biden. That the um, uh, 
the, the people from the Biden income administration have said that his intention is to join, rejoin the deal and then negotiate. I think the Europeans are, are ready and want to negotiate uh, now some additional restrictions, especially the Germans, for instance, have come out very strongly about uh, Iran's mi- missile program over the last week. Uh, other countries talked about the um, uh, the nuclear program continuing and the concerns and also their activities. They engage in the various activities. They get uh, people, dissidents in Europe and elsewhere, bring them to Turkey, to Iraq, and then, you know, have executed as they did this journalist this week. Um, so the, the the Iranians are also demanding that they lift all the sanctions before they negotiate. They also demanded reparations for the damage done. They don't say anything about the $150 billion in cash they got from uh, uh, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that the, you know, this, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. I think there are people there who are realistic. Their views are different than the... Um, views of the Trump administration and the maximum pressure uh, program. The, the incoming administration will be more internationalist. They will want to do more in coalition with other countries. Uh, but I, I don't think anybody can ignore, and especially as I pointed out, these Iranian attacks this week, the cyber attacks, the retaliatory things that they've done, they're, they're destabilizing activities against other governments in the region. You know, no American administration will ignore it. So my hope is that they will, that the reality of Iran will uh, set in. But Iran's need for America is so great. The financial situation there is so desperate that they want to get relief from from the sanctions. They want to they want to extract a price for the killing of Farouk Sadeh and of Soleimani and all of that. But at the same time, that the uh, you know they remain in control of the country and people think they're not. There are a lot of internal dissent. There's a lot of internal dissension and there's a lot of dissent amongst some of the leadership classes, especially because they face an election in May or June for the new president, which will be a test for the succession to the supreme leader who wants his son to take over. And there's a lot of opposition. So Iran is is really on a brink, and they need to get a, a change. They need to be able to do more business. You know, they're claiming they can't get medicine. This is a lie. None of the sanctions apply to medicine. The thing, is, the truth is that they, you know, wasted the money that had been set aside, a huge amount of money, uh, for medical purposes, which disappeared in Iran. So, um, you know, they they they're guilty of this. And look rather than taking responsibility and see how they clean up their act. They blame America, they blame Israel, blame everybody else for their failings. And there's no way any of the candidates for their leader, for their president in the upcoming election, there's no way any of them will be a real moderate, right? I mean, this whole attitude... Right. The only question is, is it worse or worser? Yeah, we discussed this in in Dubai because, uh, you know, the question is, doesn't anybody ever approach the PA, for instance, and say, look, guys, you could be enjoying the same thing that you know, uh, Arabs in the Persian Gulf are enjoying now with Israel, and, and, and it could only, you know, help your cause and help you build your cities and help your economy, etc. Sometimes uh, I wish somebody would just take the leaders of Iran and, and say the same thing to them, but I, but I guess it never has. The hate is so great, and they're so entrenched in, in this, you know, decades-long battle that they've created for themselves, frankly, that I don't think there's any hope. I don't think anybody can convince them otherwise. 
but uh, well, it's correct, but it, and it's ideologically driven. And when you have such a radical extremist ideology, and the supreme leader is in control of everything, no, don't believe all these reports. You know, they said already he was out of office, and I said on the program last Friday, don't believe it. He's going to be back on Monday. He was back on Monday because I heard from people in Iran that that, that was uh, the case. And they often leak things like this to, to judge reaction and see who, who tries to exploit it domestically. Um, uh, so, you know, I think, though, that the people of Iran would be more ready to turn around on the, on the Israel issue. Of course, you have the whole clerical group, the Olam Mullahs and everybody who are sworn to hate and destroy Israel. But I think that the people would would not go along with it, that, that the Iranians remember the period, some of them, the period of good relations with Israel, although most are too young to, to, to remember the period under the Shah and others when there was good cooperation. Uh, I don't know that in Turkey it would be the same. And, and I don't know in some of the Arab countries it'll, take, it'll be that easy, including Saudi Arabia, where after all the decades of hate-filled rhetoric, yeah. that when, you know that it, this week on Monday, after, or the Monday uh, right after the killing of uh, Farid Zadeh, the head of their nuclear program, right. somebody put up a banner with an Israeli flag over a main bridge in in um, Tehran, and it said, thank you, Mossad. <laughs> and, of course, by the, as soon as people started seeing it, it, got, it came down. But it was viewed by millions of people online. And we know that every time Israel, when the prime minister gives a message to the people of Iran, when there are, are the online, um, the broadcast of Israel um, broadcast for Iran, were extremely popular. So, you know, I think that there, there is hope with the Iranian people. Yeah. I believe it. I believe that many of them want uh, real peace and real um, uh, progress, but their government and leaders simply don't allow it. It's their currency is worth 10% of what it was before. They're, they're suffering terribly under all of this, you know, and, and Iran is buying some vaccines from China untested, and you know, the people are scared of it and asking for help to get the real vaccines there. Yeah. Um, all right, Israeli politics for a moment. Uh, Lieberman, Lapid, Saar, and Bennett looked like there might be a deal with the four of them. That fell through. Saar creates a new party called New Hope. Ashkenazi says he's leaving blue and white. What, what can you tell us about the prospects for another election in Israel? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> Are they still negotiating? Is Netanyahu and Gantz still yes. negotiating to try to not go to elections? Yes, they still are. Their teams met. Neither one of them, I think, really benefits from an election because of Bennett's numbers and Sire's numbers for Likud must be a challenge, uh, although Likud would probably still remain the largest party. I think Gantz has to look at it and see that he may not have a political future. Uh, Labor doesn't even make the cut this time, the 3% in, in wow. the latest polls, which is so astonishing for that us. historic. Those who remember all the decades of their yeah, control. That's historic. And, um, and, you know, the outcome would be uncertain. Saar has attracted some key people, and then uh, two from Blue and White that he fired, Handel and Hauser. Right. Um, I think that the um, uh, some of, even some Likudniks and others are, are talking of going with him. Uh, if he and Bennett were able to come together, that would really provide uh, a very powerful challenge, and maybe too big a challenge. But Right now, they they are both gaining, and 
you know, it's it's so much uncertainty. People are already so exhausted of it. They don't even protest now like they did the last time about the prospect of another election six months ago, eight months ago. When do you think we'll know? Another week or two? Like, when do you think we'll know that that they're officially going to elections? Uh, well, we will know this week if they if they don't get the budget by the 23rd, I think the government falls. Wow. So that's that's automatic. It's in law. And then you'd have... Uh, you need at least three months. So the talk is that the election, and because of Pesach, you have to move it up. So, some said they would move it later, but I think they're talking now of it being in March, that the election would be in mid-March. And then, um, so that process would have to begin immediately. I spoke to someone in Israel today who says he's scheduled to have his vaccine a week from yesterday. I mean, is this an accelerated process? Or are we going to see a, a, a large number of Israelis be vaccinated in the next few weeks? Yes, and especially older people, vulnerable people, the first responders like here are getting it first. Yes, they they have very uh, they have put this. You know, the army I think has been playing a key role in it, and Mossad others uh, to make sure that the distribution is equitable and quick. Numbers in Israel have gone way up. They're going up terribly, and and here too, and people again are becoming lax and using the masks. They don't they don't like them, blah, blah, blah. doesn't matter. And that doesn't matter whether you had it or not. You can still be a carrier. We see it, and we see Nevach people still dying from it, and people have to take it seriously. We get tired of it. You know, it's been a long time. I get all of that. But we have a responsibility, and people who are vulnerable still have to be extremely careful. You know what's interesting about the vaccine? I see reports that even with the vaccine, there'll still have to be masks and social distancing. Right. I saw a report that it'll be two, three years before... Herd immunity, herd immunity really sets in. And then, and then I heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, and I don't even know where I read it or saw it, and if you saw this, please tell me. Uh, someone said that the prime minister announced in Israel that once 80% of the country is vaccinated, not a crazy goal there because we're talking about, you know, 7 million people being vaccinated. Once 80% is vaccinated, the country will open up completely the way it was. So I don't know, you know, between all those three, three completely different messages in terms of the effectiveness and what they're expecting from the vaccine. Well, first of all, it's two shots, remember, with the Pfizer. So till you get the second shot, the immunity doesn't, isn't really full. Right. Um, and uh, I think the, the other one is only going to be one shot. But uh, yeah, 80% is considered, uh, well, herd immunity of a sort, and it diminishes the prospect of, of people getting it from contact. But the, the warning, as you said, which was contrary to what a lot of people thought, they thought once you get the shot, then you right. can go and go back to normal. Correct. That's not the case. Well, that's unfair. I need it to be that way. Okay, for you it's okay. We need to open things up. You're tall enough, you can't you breathe different air. So. Mm, taco. <laughs> uh, those, those droplets don't get up here, do they? Right. Uh, and I have type O blood, so they'd said that typos are, are resistant to the for some reason. So what are you doing in your house? Go start, I, don't, I don't believe these rumors. Go start flying <laughs> around the world. Come on. No, I don't, I'm not sure that it's true. So far, I've not been able to substantiate it. Have uh, you Googled? Has anybody with type O blood gotten COVID? should Google that. Uh, it's a resistance. It's not a prevention. Ah, so there's got to be at least some people. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, all right, last thing. Uh, I, I, this is a curiosity. This if al- any of the listeners want to send in typo blood, just in case, it's okay. <laughs> the Al <laughs> Shabab, this thirty-year-old from Kenya that was ready to to do a World Trade Center-like terrorist attack. So I'm just curious if Al Shabab is affiliated with one of the major terror groups, or this is one of those 
rogue small, uh, you know, terror parties uh, that he's associated with. You ever hear of it before this case? Of course, yeah. Al Shabaab has been around. They're especially operative in Africa, like Boko Haram, and oh, others. so they're major. It's like a they're, real. They're a significant. It's a real group, but major by the sense that we might look at the, the size of the army and the attempts to to try and crush it, like ISIS. ISIS still exists. People don't realize it. They're very active in in the Sinai. They're still active in Iraq and and Syria. Diminished, yes. Do they not? They don't have their own mini state now, but they're still very active and growing, according to many. And they're growing in Africa. They're growing in other places. Um, you know, when we look at what's going on in South America today. You know, which one would think would be a, a source of great concern in the United States because they're operating there in order to be close to, to, to be able to attack the United States and to undermine the regimes there now. And, and Zarif's visit, all of the Iranian activity there, uh, expanding constantly and the changes in the government going back the wrong way, the governments that we thought would transform. Now the elections show that the Maduro types and all of them are coming back to power. Um, you're right. There isn't enough attention to the to the reality of of these Islamist terrorist uh, organizations and their activities. There are efforts in Europe, by the way. Now France is moving to to outlaw them and to really uh, go after the uh, Islamist uh, groups. The problem is there that not only are the horses out of the barn, but the barn door has been closed on them. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, finally, we must note the passing of Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld. I'm sure, aside from being a great rabbinic leader, as you know, obviously, uh, I, I think you probably thought the same thing I did. This is the end of an era. We uh, uh, we don't have many left from that generation who were such effective rabbinic leaders in their own communities and really internationally. I could use the whole show to talk about him. He was a mentor, a friend, uh, I thank God spoke to him during the last year and kept in touch and went to see him uh, before right before COVID. Um, and he 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 was low key. He wasn't looking for for credit and visibility, but he was such an amazing man. And there were few people like him and Rabbi Besser and uh, Rabbi Newberger who you could put in any circumstance with any people, and you know you were going to come out okay. When we had very tense moments in the conference, you know, between all the array of religious organizations and stuff, and some issues became explosive. He was always, although a strong advocate and very consistent and very strong on Israel and, and as strong a Zionist as you could be, and the head president of Polio Goodness Israel, and he was president of the RCA and many other things, And but he was involved with the conference for decades and with me personally, and uh, I, I can't, there's not enough words to say, and, you know, with him, his loss, Rabbi Sachs, and uh, we also have to note this week the passing of one of the great Balabatim and uh, Abram Wolfson, who has it in Stucco, yep. almost uh, legendary. Um, Plus but, Rabbi uh, Lamb. And Rabbi Lamb. Right. Unfortunately, we, we've lost some of the great people, and your point is right. We're not replacing them with people who have that ability to be strict and and in their observances and their and sticking by principle, but at the same time with a broader vision and understanding of Claudius Israel and uh, he's missed he was missed before because he was not as active. But uh, when I came there, uh, he, he oh, at the end of towards the end of our meeting, people were started coming into his apartment. Because he was still giving shurim, but he was doing it from laying down and from <laughs> uh, from his chair. Wow. So he's a remarkable man. I'm glad that we have the opportunity to, to express our cars at Tov and to the Hamata's family and to the Wolfsons and Lames and everyone. 
Uh, I thank you, Malcolm. Uh, enjoy the end of Hanukkah. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Next week, a Sarabateves, everybody. A week from today is actually a fast day. How do you like that?